this morning we, we truly do worship your holy name. We know, Lord, that apart from you, we are unholy, we are lost, and we are hopeless. Lord, we know that you didn't leave us like that, that you came from heaven, that you left your glory to come down here, to become one of us, and to live the life that we couldn't, to die the death that we deserve, or to be raised again to give us the promise forevermore of eternal life. It's for all of that and so much more that we praise you this morning. Thank you for your word to which we turn in just a moment. We pray, Lord, that you would drive it deep into our hearts, that you would make it extremely clear what it is you're saying this morning, and that we would operate and live accordingly. We pray in Jesus' name. We have three overall groups of leadership, if you will, here at Elm Grove. For some of you that are new, you may not know this, and so I'll just kind of give you some free stuff in the, in the sermon here. Kind of, Here's some things about our church. We're talking about this series on, on the church itself, and so I figured some of the things that may be helpful to know is how do certain things work. We have three main groups, if you will. These aren't the only people that lead here, but these are the designated groups according to our bylaws that are responsible for certain things. We have a group known as our trustees, uh, and they they handle most of the things that uh, cover any kind of legalities and our building and grounds and different projects and so on and so forth, plus a lot of other stuff that nobody else wants to do. That's what our trustees get to do, and everybody who's been a trustee say, oh yeah, I know what you got, yeah, yeah, right. So the trustees are vital, they're extremely important, and they've done a great, great job, and so that's really the, the area of their main focus, at least. Then we have a group of folks known as our deacons. You'll see them a little bit. They'll serve uh, communion to us. They'll serve the Lord's Supper. Our deacons operate, I think, in as much a biblical model as I have seen in that they are the servants of the church. They are to identify and to, to minister to the needs of the church body. So the men that you'll see up here a little bit later, if you've got something going on in your life and you need some biblical counsel, some help, uh, if you've got a financial need, if you've got emotional things going on, these are the guys that God has designated here at Elm Grove to help us identify and to work on meeting those needs. Okay, So in our church, anyway, and maybe you've, you've been a part of a Southern Baptist church before where the deacons are sort of like a board of directors and the pastor better toe the line and make sure he doesn't get wrong with the deacons. I don't have deacon problems. We've got great deacons, wonderful men of God. And so they are, I think, the most biblical model is that they serve the church. And so that's what our deacons here too. So they are wonderful guys. And then we have another group known as the Church Council. This was something we started a few years ago. And it is a representative group from various ministries in the church. And then three people on that particular group are elected by the church on a rotational basis. And then that group also includes our, our church staff. We all serve in what are called ex officio roles. So we don't have voting rights on that particular committee so that I couldn't, I can't stack the committee with staff members, you know what I mean? Just kind of slip somebody a dollar and say, you're paid staff. And we don't. So we, we operate, basically the church council's responsibility is to set the ministry direction of the church. And so we try to talk about what should our focus be and, and, and how is it that we can best minister to our community and so on and so forth. And we have some really good discussions and a lot of wonderful people that serve on that. Recently, I tell you all that because recently our church council got together and we were talking about the upcoming year to three years. We try to think out just a little bit and we were talking about what should we really be focusing on in the next year to three years. We 
try not to plan too far ahead because that's like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll get there eventually. We try to make it very specific. What can we do in the next year to three years that will really impact the church in a, in a obviously a Christ-centered, God-honoring kind of way? And lots of things get tossed around in those meetings. And we, we bounce things off one another, and we come with different ideas, and, and I share some things, and they share some things, and it's real discussion-based, and it's open dialogue, and so on and so forth. And one of the things that we settled on, that really everybody in unanimity at the last meeting said that in the next one to three years that we really, really, really want to focus on here at Elm Grove, and this didn't come from me, this came from them, this is what the people in the church that you've said, hey, these are our representatives of this group, what they identified was the idea of biblical literacy. Biblical literacy. Now, what I mean by that is knowing and understanding our Bibles. What they identified, which I don't disagree with, is that the majority of Christians in our world today and the majority of church people have some knowledge but a lacking knowledge of the Bible. And maybe you'd say, yeah, if I'm honest, that's me. I know some about it, but I don't know a ton about it. And I'll just say this. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to get all kinds of degrees and so on. You don't have to be a Christian for a hundred years to understand the Bible. It is possible to do that if you just get started. So one of the things that we suggested is the next one for you. From our kids all the way up, let's make sure that we all understand and have the opportunity to understand what the Bible says, what it means, and what we do as a result. Alright, so that's kind of going to be one of our focuses for the next few years. And, and certainly that's the focus all the time, but we're going to be very strategic.
obey me, and I will bless you, and I will keep you, and I will make my face to shine upon you, and I will give you rest, and I will give you peace in the promised land. And what did they do? Anybody know the story? They didn't do any of that, did they? <laughs> they rebelled, and they disobeyed God, and so on. And where did their problems come from? Was it because the outside armies attacked them? Was that their major problem? No. Why did the outside armies have success against them? Why? Because they disobeyed God. They weren't faithful to God and His Word. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, he wrote all kinds of stuff about how the church is supposed to be and so on and so forth. He wrote several letters, one of which we'll look at a little bit later today. He wrote several letters, and in some of those, he addressed pastors in particular and then other churches and so on. And over and over and over and over and over and over, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he challenged them to remain faithful to God's Word. He did not go on and on about all the threats from the Roman Empire and so on and so forth. In fact, he didn't totally dismiss them, but he almost acted as if, eh, not a big deal. The big deal is that we follow God's Word, that we understand it, we know it, we apply it. So I say all that because it goes back to the church council thing of recognizing that this is a major issue. Now, I don't have a poll to take, you know, to show you today that says this number of people at Elm Grove read their Bibles and this number of people know this about, you know, the Scripture and whatever. My point is not to hit us with it today. My point is to say if we are going to join God in His effort, in His mission with the church, if we are truly going to join Him in that undefeated mission, we have to do church His way. Part of doing church His way is to understand how we can be more faithful to God and to His Word. And so this morning is all about how do we understand the Bible? How do we understand it? I have not preached a sermon specifically on this in quite a while. Now, I've done Wednesday night studies, and we've done different things like that. If you're not a part of our Wednesday night studies, when we start back in August, I would highly encourage you to get involved with that. It is tremendous discussion and so on. We have a great time with that. But I've not preached a sermon on how to study the Bible in quite some time. And so I thought, you know what, now is a good opportunity. So, if you will, turn with me first to Matthew chapter 16. Now, we're going to be in Matthew, and we're going to look at some different parts of the Bible today as we kind of work through this. And I also, we're going to look uh, primarily at, at uh, Philippians chapter 4 as well. So if you've got Matthew 16, and, and hold a place there, and if you know where it is, go ahead and turn and hold a place in Philippians chapter 4. Now, some here this morning, as you're getting there in Matthew, it's, it's the first book in the New Testament. Just go to the table of contents if you don't know where it is. Some here this morning are, uh, are total beginners with the Bible. I mean, just total, you may have been in church forever, but you're a total beginner with the Bible. It's just not something you have uh, much experience with. I'm really glad you're here this morning. I want you to know that. I am super glad. You do not have to feel dumb. You don't have to feel backward. You don't have to feel out of place. If you, don't, if you say, you know what, I am a total beginner with the Bible. The Bible can seem intimidating. I'll just tell you that. It can seem very intimidating. I mean, you know, some Bibles, I'll show you this one real quick. I'll show you it again in a minute. Some Bibles are very intimidating in and of themselves, right? You know, and, and, and it feels like you're just going to get thumped, you know, right in the head over and over and over and over again with the Bible. That And man, they can be intimidating. And then you open this thing up and you, th- you think, what on earth does that mean? I don't have a clue. And where do I start? And oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. And, and man, it is tough sometimes to understand the Bible. And other people seem to know so much. I mean, you know, I listen to that person talk and I, I'm in their Sunday school class and they just seem to know everything that it means. And I don't know anything. 
anything. And maybe you're that person this morning. Today, I think, will help with that. There are also some people, of course, that when I said turn to Matthew chapter 16, I mean, boom, there it is. You're just right there. You're like Bible drill all over again from when you were a kid. And boom, here it is. And you've got it. And you're standing at attention and the whole deal like you have to do in Bible drill. And, you know, and you're getting your ribbons. and all. Man, you are right there. You know, you know the Bible. And you've got a lot of experience with it. You grew up reading it and learning about it and so on. But for some like that, the Bible can be a little stale sometimes. And it can just be an obligation. Well, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible every day. And so, okay, I'll read again today. And there are times maybe when you don't read it. And there are times when it's just an obligation and when it's just stale. And I really hope today will help with that. I also know there are some people uh, here today that are very hungry to understand more about God's Word. That's one thing I appreciate about a lot of people here is that you show up and you anticipate. What are we going to see from God today? I want to know more. I want to learn more. And you want to be faithful to the God who gave it to us. And you want to study it the right way. And I think today will help with that. And then I, I, I don't want to discount that there may be somebody here this morning morning who, who, who just thinks, well, this thing is such an ancient book written so long ago, and there's no way it has anything to do with us today. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I get it, some nice little stories and some good moral lessons, but what really does it have to do with us today? How could something so old be relevant to me now? And I think today will help with that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look in Matthew 16, and I'm going to explain a little bit of this, and then we're going to go sort of through a... Uh, 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 an example, if you will, in Philippians 4. So look with me, Matthew chapter 16, look beginning in verse 13. This has been our, our launching passage for this entire series. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's asking them, who do, who, who, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So there's confusion. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am. Simon Peter answered on behalf of the group, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower. That's where we get the the undefeated terminology for our series. Nothing can stop the church. Nothing will overcome it because Jesus builds it and belongs to him. And then we get to this little bit of a confusing part here. What in the world does Jesus mean? I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And that's where we're going to launch from this morning. Jesus said to Peter and the apostles standing around with him, he said, I'm giving you this mantle of responsibility, this symbolic keys to the kingdom. And whatever you declare is loosed, is loosed in heaven. And whatever you declare is bound, is bound in heaven. What on earth is he talking about? What does that really, really mean? Well, if you, if you study it, and I'm not going to try to give a, a full exposition of this this morning, because we've got some other things I want to cover, but if you really study this, you'll understand one of the things historically that stands out is that the terms binding and loosing were given, according to rabbinical literature, to the rabbis, according to them, that meant that we are just simply to declare, here's what God has said is permissible, here's what God has said is not permissible, here's what the scripture means, and so on. Think of it in these terms. The United States Constitution was written a long time ago, right? And there are people now who are supposedly interpreting it for us, right? 
Now, they may interpret it one way, may interpret it another way, but they declare for our land what is permissible and what is not, right? You get what I'm saying? So we have courts and we have justices and so on, and that's what they declare according to what they have interpreted. They tell us, here's what it meant, here's what it means, here's here's why it matters, here's what we're supposed to do about it. That's what Jesus is saying that the responsibility now falls on Peter and the apostles to do the same thing with the Scripture. He's saying, I'm giving you this authority. And we know that it didn't end with them. Peter and the apostles died. Uh, What passed on was not any particular label that they had, but their responsibility is passed on to the church, to the church leaders, to those who teach, to those who study the Bible, to those who read it. The same responsibility is there. So I have the responsibility as a pastor to make sure that I understand what has God already said What is it that I should say and declare, this is what God has said, here's what's already loosed in heaven, here's what's already bound in heaven, and as a result, we live accordingly. That's the the essence of it. So my role is not to make stuff up and say, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to declare that all these things are fine so that God will be okay with it because he said whatever I declare is loosed is loosed in heaven. I have no power like that. Do you understand that? I don't have any power to change what God has already said and what God has done, who he is. I don't have any power to change what's going on in heaven. I don't have any power to change any of that. So my role here is not to say, well, God, I have declared that these things are bound. These things are loosed, and so as a result, you must do these things. No, 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 no. All I am to do is to declare what is already declared by God. That's the idea of binding and loosing. How did I get to that? How did I get to that conclusion? Well, I studied it. I I worked through it. I I looked at some different Bible study tools. I went back through history and I said, okay, what did this mean? What are they talking about? And that's where I came to. I looked at different people that have studied these things. I'm not making anything up this morning based upon just my own conclusions. I'm giving you the result of the study that I did on this particular passage of Scripture. Okay, you understand where I'm at? And so the idea is that this is a huge responsibility. It's so important for us to understand what it is that God has bound and what it is that God has loosed so that we will know how to teach and how to preach and how to read and how to understand the Scripture properly. If it's that important, then how do we do it? How do we do Bible study? It's one thing to read the Bible and you just think, I don't have a clue what that just said. I don't understand it. How do we study the Bible? And that's what I want to look at this morning. And we're going to focus on an example as we work through this from Philippians chapter 4. So if you've got your place in Philippians, okay, you turn into the right from Matthew. Philippians is a short book. It's actually a letter written by Paul. It's just four chapters long. It starts with a P, P P-H, Philippians. So turn to the right a little bit. Get to chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at some basics this morning of Bible study. And we're going to work through an example that often gets, I believe, mi- I believe, misinterpreted and misunderstood. Philippians chapter 4, and our focus this morning is going to be on verse 13. Anybody know from memory what Philippians 4.13 says? Anybody know? I can what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or gives me strength, or through Him who gives me strength. Okay, according to your version, it may be a little bit different. We know in many cases we know that verse. And maybe you say, oh yeah, I've heard that. I didn't know that's where it was, but I've heard that before. This is a verse that often gets misinterpreted and misunderstood. And so what we're going to show this morning, if it's so important that Jesus said, Peter, you and the apostles, you've got this tremendous responsibility. So do it right. 
how can we, having the same responsibility to understand the Scripture and to convey it, how can we do it God's way? So we're going to look at a few things. What we're going to do is, here's what we're trying to, to find, okay? This, you'll see that in your bulletin. And then here's how, here's how we get it. Here's how we find it. Here's what we're looking for. Here's how we find it. The first thing that we're looking for, as you see in your outline, is the idea of what's called interpretation. Interpretation. Now, in each of these, there's a, some space there because there's some extra stuff you may want to kind of write down because I hope this will serve as a guide for you as you go and study the Scripture. God has given us His Word. He's revealed it to us. He wants us to understand Him, who He is, who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, to die for our sins, to be raised again, and so on. And so we've got to understand and interpret the Scripture the right way. The key question here, okay, you won't see this on, on the screen. The key question is, what does it mean? question mark. Not what does it mean to me, but what does it mean? Okay, the wrong question to ask when you're studying the Bible is, what does this mean to to me? No, no, no. If I am the decider of meaning, guess what? Depending on what kind of mood I'm in, it's going to mean one thing or another. You get what I'm saying? I am not the decider of meaning. Who is the decider of meaning in the Scripture? It's a very simple answer, not a trick question. Who is it? It's God, right? It's not me. It's not you. It's not anybody who reads the scripture. It is God himself. He is the decider of meaning. So I do not start with, what does this mean to me? If you are leading a Bible study, wrong first question. Okay, just so you know, take a time out. Whoa, let's start over. I asked that question wrong. We don't first start with, hey, let's read a scripture. Now, what does this mean to you? No, 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 no. What does this mean? Question mark. Got me? That's it. That's where we start. So we aren't starting with what it means to me. We're starting with what did it mean to them? Because the scripture can't mean what it never meant. Got me? It can't mean what it never meant. I had a seminary professor like talk about that. He'd just say, look, if you want to make sure to avoid lots of errors in your biblical interpretation, remember this, it can't mean what it never meant. So in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13... Our first job is to understand what does it mean. Here's what my version says. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. All right? Maybe that's familiar. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, what people have assumed this means is something about sports or personal achievement or rising above anything that you face, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, and all right, I, all right, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I mean, I've seen it on posters and so on and so forth. I'm going to tell you, I, I could not do all things on the baseball field through Christ who strengthens me. I am standing here today in front of you because I could not do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, had I been able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me, no offense to you, but I'd still be playing baseball somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? I would have been good enough to make millions of dollars playing in the major leagues. And my pastoral call might have been, you know, put off just a little bit. If you understand, I would have been playing baseball, but I could not do all things through Christ who strengthens me on the baseball field. Because he didn't strengthen me to be 6'2 and 220 and be able to hit the ball 500 feet. He strengthened me to be 5'8 and about a buck 70 when I was playing, and that was about it. I was a singles and doubles guy. So this is not primarily about sports or personal achievement or strength or individualistic living or name it and claim it. Anything you want, you can do it through Christ Jesus and so on. We're human. We're limited. 
We understand that. So remember, it can't mean what it never meant. So if it, if it doesn't mean those things, then, then what do we do? Well, that's where the next part comes in. So how do we get to interpretation? We're looking for it, the right meaning. How do we get there? Real simple, just something you can do this week. You read it in context. You read it in context. Now, I'm going to give you three different kinds of context. If you understand, you ever, you ever had, uh, uh, you read something and, and, and it's a quote or whatever, and then later on a person gets in trouble for saying something, what do they say? Well, you know, they quoted me what? Out of context. What does that mean? Well, they just picked exactly what they wanted. They just picked a sound bite. I guarantee you, if you went through the sermon every single week on the podcast and you spliced it all together, I would be saying some crazy stuff. It's crazy stuff on, in the sermon. So if you just rip certain things out of context, then you can make it sound and mean whatever you want. Three different types of context. You ready? We're going to have rock and roll here. First is called literary. They're not on the screen. Just write them down. Literary context. Now what we're talking about is what comes before and what comes after, what type of literature, and so on and so forth. Just so you know, in your Bible, you have a variety of types of literature. If you go all the way back and start at the very beginning, you've got the books of what are called the books of the law. And then you go a little bit further and you've got the books of history. It tells the story of the nation of Israel. And then you've got some books of poetry and wisdom. And then you've got books of prophecy. And then you have what are known as the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. And then you have another history book in the book of Acts. And then you have more what are called epistles, letters that are written. And then, of course, you have the book of Revelation, which is a a book of apocalyptic type literature. There's a variety of stuff in the Bible. One of the best ways that you can figure out, okay, how can I eliminate what it doesn't mean is to read before and to read after. Look back in Philippians chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I'm in verse 10. That now at last you have renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances are. I know both how to have a little, and I know how, how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, do you see how we can eliminate some false meaning and some false interpretation if we just read a little before? And if you were to continue to read in Philippians 4, you'd get more of that. The literary context, here's where it is, and here's what's around it. It helps us to eliminate false meaning and helps us to understand more of what it actually does mean. So if you, if you, if you drew some circles that kind of went out, some concentric circles, you'd start with what's immediately around it, then what else is in this book, and then what about the rest of this particular testament, what about the whole Bible? And you just sort of work out from there. What does God say about this and so on? So if you want to get to the context and help, and help yourself understand, then read it in literary context. You can learn a ton about it. Because is Paul talking about sports here? Is he talking about just being real strong on his own? No, 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 not at all. He's talking about being in desperate need and how he's learned the secret of contentment and all these things. And that is, I can do all those things. I mean, I can, I can handle any particular situation that comes to me, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm not, because Christ gives me strength. Second kind of context is historical context. Historical context. Now, what we're talking about here is who wrote it? When did they write it? What was going on at the time? Maybe you've kept a journal in the past. And you go back to that journal and you, you think, what on earth was I thinking? I don't even, you know, what's going on? But if you, if, you, if you had a timeline of your life and you go back and you say, you know what, yeah, 
And that week was really, really difficult. And so, man, why was I so down? Well, you know, this had happened. That had happened. What's happening affects the way that things come across, right? And so, historical context. Look in Philippians chapter 1 real quick. Philippians chapter 1. Look at... um, Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. little historical context. Where's Paul? He's in some sort of imprisonment, right? He's separated from these people. He doesn't get to see them, and so he's writing to them a particular letter about some things. So the historical context helps to add to it because when you realize that Paul is now on house arrest awaiting trial that could cost him his life and then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You realize he ain't hitting home runs. He's experiencing Jesus on a whole new level through imprisonment that quite honestly none of us here have ever experienced. Historical context. And thirdly, theological context. Theological context. How does this fit with the rest of God's revealed Word? What else does God say about this? If I'm reading the Old Testament, what does the New Testament say about this? If, you know, what does the life and the work of Jesus do for this? How does, how does He interpret it? How does it fit with the history of redemption and so on? So if you go back to read Philippians 4.13 and you understand theologically, how is it that I have strength through Christ all the time? Well, because I know the Scripture and God is strength and He's provided me with these things and so on. Now, there are some tools for doing this. and I, I, I brought some. Uh, Dylan, why don't you bring those up for me, if you don't mind. I just thumped you in the head with this thing, so now you can bring those up. Here's, uh, you can leave the top one there. Right? Yep, that some tools, thank you, sir. Some tools for doing this that I will, I will just leave up here. The one that I had a minute ago uh, if you're looking for how can I study the Bible, this this is what's called a study Bible. It's real thick because it's got a lot of extra notes and so on in it. The way this one works out, it's got the Scripture at the top and it's got some notes, some study notes. People that, that get paid to do this kind of thing, study the Bible. It's not that they're just studying it for you that you don't need to, but they provide some great help. It's sort of You may have heard of what's called a commentary, and so they're commenting on what this stuff means. I would highly encourage you, if you do not have a study Bible, Get a study Bible. You don't have to buy one that's this thick or whatever, but you get a study Bible. You say, well, I didn't know where to start. Let me know, and I'd be happy to to help you out. There's another little resource called a Bible Dictionary. And what this lists is terms and people and places and so on. And so you turn here, and, uh, you know, you you, you come across a phrase in the Bible. You just want to know, okay, what what about this? For example, here's the land of Canaan. And it's got three or four different pages on here's where it was and what it was about and so on. You can see how that would help you in your in your study. Another one is called a Bible handbook, and I've got two examples of this. This is a real thick one. cost you about $40. Uh, this one is one I found at Walmart this week, 15 bucks, And it's Bible overview. Excuse me. In every book of the Bible, here's Leviticus. You ever get to Leviticus in your Bible reading plan and stop and give up? Man, Genesis is great. Exodus is pretty cool, too. Leviticus. What does that mean? This will give you some background information. It helps you know what's the purpose of this book? Why was it written? Why, why, why are those things included and so on? And then and this particular guide, 
also points to what does this say about Jesus? How does it preview him and so on? I, like I said, I got this Walmart for 15 bucks this week. Just pay, I, I was walking by it. It was on this, you know, the end cap, and I saw it. And there you go. I show you all that stuff, not to make it like a, a college classroom, and these are all the books you need to buy for the semester. I, I show you that because you may have never seen any of those things, any of those tools. Some of the things that would really help you, maybe you've never seen. There are also some websites and so on uh, that you can go to. I'd love to talk with you about that after the service. Uh, I'm going to move on now, but I, I'd love to talk with you about that. Second thing we've got to get to is what's called implication. So first we get to interpretation. We know what it means. We've not yet moved to what I do about it or anything like that. We get now to implication. The key question here is, why does it matter? So what? Okay. I can... I can see how God can, uh, can give me strength in all situations. So what? Why does it matter? That's the key question. So what? Who cares? How do we understand this? How do we realize why it matters? Well, how you get there is to ask big questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about who He is? What He's done and what He will do? We read this particular Philippians 4.13. and say, what does this say about God? What does this say about humanity? What does this say about me individually? What is this saying? So we got what it means, what it says. Philippians 4.13, we, we look at it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What does that say about God? He has strength, what, that I don't have. What does it say about me? I need God's strength. What does it say about humans? We are, we are frail and we fall and we face situations that we don't know what to do with. You see, ask big questions. We get to the implication. And then finally, finally, after we understand the proper interpretation, we've used all that. And, and by the way, I spent the most time on interpretation for a reason. Because I think that's most important. Now, it's not the only importance. But until we know what it means, we won't know why it matters. And we won't even worry about this third one. Or we, well, actually, we'll get it backwards is what we'll do. We'll worry too much about the third one and we'll, we'll, we'll misapply it. The third one is application. This is where we all want. All right, man, just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me, seriously, just tell I'm good, you know, whatever. I don't care what it means. Just tell me what I need to do. <clears throat> you ever been there with the Bible? You ever been there with the sermon? Right now, my, my countdown timer has 45 seconds left on it. Some of you didn't know I had a countdown timer in the back. <clears throat> you're counting me down already. I get it. But, but my, you know, all you're thinking at this point is, okay, dude, you know what? Just tell me what I need to do. Okay, I came to church. I, you know, I didn't ask for you to, you know, to tell me about Bible study tools. Just tell me what I need to do. Isn't this where we go, right? We jump to this immediately. Okay, all right, let's just get to what we need to do, and we'll all walk out, and okay, we'll do those things. And, and that doesn't last, does it? Because we don't know why it matters, and we don't really know what it means, and so we have to spend time with that. This is the third step. And the key question here is, what do I do now? What do I do now? No, don't jump too quickly to it, but be sure to get there. Be sure to get there when you read the scripture. What do I do now? The scripture was meant to be applied. It is not meant to be an abstract sort of thing. It just hangs out there and, well, you know, God really doesn't care what you do with it. It is meant to be applied. 
but application will be wrong and it will be less powerful if we don't do good work on the first two steps. How do we find the application? Well, I think it's real simple. You, you look for how to make specific changes. And, and the word specific is very important. Because <clears throat> it's not just, hey, everybody, let's go out and we'll all do this and whatever. No, no, no. How specifically do I need to change as a result of that? What is God saying to me that needs to be altered? Start with them back then. What was he saying to them? How do you think Paul's letter would have hit the Philippians? Man, Paul's in prison. If he can be content, good grief, what have I got to complain about right here? Man, if God can give him strength in prison, then I need to be drawing on strength from the Lord when I'm out here and everything's going great and so on. So what changes should I make in my thinking, in my attitude, in my theology, in my emotions, my actions, my beliefs? What changes should I make? How should my understanding of this scripture change the way that I live? Those are the three things. Interpretation, implication, and application. And man, that is Baptist, isn't it? You guys, I, some of you following along and you didn't get it because I jumped around, but it, it, <clears throat> I'm trying, Mark. Um, <clears throat> so interpretation, what does it mean? We get there by reading it in context. Implication, why does it matter? We get there by asking big questions about the scripture. And then application, what do I do now? We look for ways to make specific changes. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework this week. You're saying, all right, all right, I'll give it a shot. Here, what do I do now? Here you go. Okay, here's the, here's the application for this week. I want you to study one of two, if not both, uh, passages. Actually, I'm just going to give you a verse for each one, and there's stuff around it. You're, the first one is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua 1, 9. The second one is Hebrews 10, 25. Hebrews 10, 25. So here's what I'd love for you to do this week. I would love for you to work through those three things. Interpretation, implication, application. Asking the key questions, trying to find it, and so on. And then maybe, you know, shoot me an email and say, here's where I'm at. I'm not going to grade it and say, oh, you're just way off. That's terrible. You know, that's not what I mean. my, my goal will be, hey, let's work together and let's make sure that we know how to do these things. The ultimate point, okay, the ultimate point today is not that you would have a greater head knowledge of the Bible so that you can impress your friends in your Sunday school class and you can say, oh, I know more about the Bible than anybody else. The point is to understand and know the one who gave it. God did not reveal his word to us so that we would be puffed up, he says, by knowledge, but that we would be built up by the love of Jesus Christ. So the ultimate point is not, well, go and read your Bible. Why? Because you should. The point is, get to know God's Word so that you can understand and know and love the one who gave His very life for you. That's the point. We're going to close this morning with communion. So we're going to be here just a few more minutes. And, and ultimately, what we look for in the Scripture is what this points to. The ultimate meaning of Scripture is that God has come from heaven, leaving His glory to become one of us, to live among us, Philippians chapter 2 says, to live among us, become one of us, to humble Himself, to be obedient to death on a cross. And we're going to celebrate that as the ultimate meaning that everything in Scripture leads up to Jesus Christ and His gospel. I'm going to ask our deacons, I mentioned them earlier, I'm going to ask you guys if you would go ahead and make your way down here. And as they're coming, I hope that you will take some time to spend with the Lord. 
The way that we do communion here, if you've never been with us for this, you do not have to be a member, a card-carrying member of Elm Grove.